the creative possibilities are limitless. And when you allow the creative options to be now governed both by the data, which speaks back to you and gives you this instantaneous real-time feedback, what works better and what works not as well. And then being able to load multiple versions of your creative so you can actually A-B test and find out which, which, which message resonates best in that particular store, in that particular context with that particular customer, right? Like I said, that, that's not ever being done in physical store environment. You're listening to Retail Remix, your inside access to candid conversations with the people shaping retail's future. Here's your host, Alicia Esposito. We've seen the retail media landscape quickly evolve over the past year. There has been a lot of interests on behalf of brands, and there has been a lot of movement on behalf of the retailers building out these advertising services and opportunities. But one thing that has been coming to the forefront more and more as we talk about the opportunity of retail media is what does this really look like as we think about the store experience and creating this cohesive omni-channel environment and in turn, omni-channel advertising offering. Today, Arsen Avakian, co-founder and CEO of Cooler Screens, digs into the opportunities and possibilities with me because his company is focused on creating dynamic, digital-driven experiences in the store aisles when consumers have a mission and high intent to purchase a product. It's really fascinating to learn a little bit more about his vision and how his experience working and leading a CPG brand has influenced the business. But it was especially interesting to dig into how this type of marketing or advertising real estate can lend itself to some of the broader issues that marketing teams are facing around optimizing budgets, creating more contextual campaigns, and gathering data to create a more intelligent creative engine. Arson, thanks so much for being on the show. It is great to have you on. Thank you for having me, Alyssa. So let's start at the foundation of it all cooler screens, your business. What inspired you to start it? And you know, what were you hoping to accomplish? What goals did you have when you started the business? Thanks for having me again, Alicia. It's a great question. I always get asked and I relate to my personal background and my personal experiences. Prior to starting cooler screens, some of your listeners might know I was the founder of a consumer brand called Argo T. So to say the least, I spent 10,000 hours in the aisles of retail stores essentially trying to promote our product and sell more tea, if you will. I have a lot of observations about the current state of retail and just how consumers, shoppers behave in the stores. And what I saw that there was a significant gap for the consumers as they would walk in, they would pull out their cell phones, trying to look up basic information about the product and whether it's the calories or sugars, you name it. And so so through a lot of those personal observations and discussions with shoppers and consumers in stores, it became clear to me that there is a significant expectation that we have now with e-commerce being prevalent in our life on how easy we can access information about products, brands, and anything that empowers our decision making when we select which products to buy. But when we walk into the brick and mortar retail stores, 
We don't have any of those abilities, which is why we resort to pulling out that cell phone to try to look up information. So the inspiration was, what if we could bring the best of online shopping, the best of e-commerce-like capabilities, which some of them are as basic as being able to to give people information about, the, like I said, the brand, the product, the nutrition in the beverages case, or now, as we learned with our partners in pharmacy, healthcare settings, a lot of people, they have no idea the differences between the vitamins or what's the difference between Advil versus Aleve. So we were always inspired by what this uh, trying to close that, what we call the consumer experience gap by bringing the best of online shopping in the stores and empowering people to make a decision that helps them with their selection, whether to fit their dietary budget or or any other consideration needs uh, while in a store, in a physical store. Oh, that's great. I think those consumer experience gaps are definitely very prevalent, especially as it relates to things that are very closely connected to lifestyle. Like you, like in the case of our goatees, like obviously that's, you know, what is the best tasting option for me or are there specific dietary needs? But you got into the example with healthcare or medicine. I mean, there are very deep implications there if consumers can't get the context they need to make the best, most informed decision possible. So I, I want to kind of double click into your experience as the CEO and founder of Argo Tea and, and kind of how that drove your inspiration. So obviously there's the consumer side of things, but were there any particular challenges or obstacles that you faced as a executive at a consumer brand that you also wanted to kind of close the gap on or address? Because I feel like we're hearing so much about retailer and brand collaboration, especially with, you know, retail media becoming a thing. So were there any challenges on the business side that you wanted to help address as well? Yeah. So as usually the entrepreneurial stories, they have the uh, multiple aha moments, right? Uh, one of them I just mentioned, which was the core idea that consumers deserve the far better experience in a store than, it's, than what's available to them in the brick and mortar retail today. So that concept of CX is in the core of what we do. However, to your question, the second aha was as a marketer. I mean, obviously, I would stand on in those aisles scratching my head and, and thinking about how do I sell more tea than Lipton's and others of the world. And, and what was becoming pretty obvious is that the consumers are highly impulse shopper driven. They look for a lot of information that is contextually relevant for them in that, I guess, marketer jargon, right, in that funnel of the path to purchase. And what's available to them in this in this last moment before the before shoppers make their decision, what's available to us as marketers, it comes down to the analog world of the banners and stickers and signage that we would hang in the stores. So as if it's back in the 1990s, completely removed from today's era of digital capabilities. So the second kind of a, so first, basically the analog world challenges versus all of the modern marketing, digital marketing capabilities were are non-existent until cooler screens started to bring the in-store retail media capability for our current partners. And the second kind of element to that was realizing that for a number of brands who are trying to, to gain this credibility with the customers along multiple points of their journey, what they call the omni-channel experiences, 
a number of brands, at least in my case as Argo, we, we could never outspend the bigger companies on TV or, or even Google, Facebooks of the world or billboards. So what we needed to do is we needed to find a way to connect with the consumer at that most important in-store moment. And the sheer amount of, I guess, traffic and the opportunity to do that in the stores versus online is just mind-boggling. I mean, we still have to take a step back and remember that despite all the hype of e-commerce in food, beverage, healthcare, beauty, certain sectors of the retail, 85, 90%, there's a number of numbers being thrown around there of trade still happens in physical stores. And that most important part of the journey, which is when consumers are at the store, making up their mind and looking for that information or a promotion to nudge them to pick their product, their brand over some others is missing. So so the second aha moment was really that we as marketers are missing this very important lever of connecting with the other customers, consumers in stores and doing it in the modern digital marketing way. So Cooler Screens technology was inspired by closing the gap for the shoppers, for humans, for consumers, but it is a unique utility. I call it the third lever for the marketers, modern marketers to be able to connect with the shoppers in store and be able to give them all those relevant promotions and information to help them make that decision that hopefully results in an increased sales and market share to the particular brand. Right. Because typically, and I'm just kind of pulling from my own experiences in like a grocery store or a drugstore, there's only one so much real estate to accommodate these marketing moments or marketing experience. You know, there are end caps, there are some areas for in-aisle signage, but it's certainly not super robust. But then to your point, it's lacking the dynamic digital nature of advertising we see on our mobile devices or or even when we're on our desktops, right? It's not super eye-catching, but as well, it's not super data-driven or agile. So like you can't like be switching things out as quickly or efficiently as if it was like a digital experience. Did I catch all of those, I guess, nuances or, or disconnects that kind of cause friction? Yeah. And, you know, the new frontier is, of course, is also understanding what works, what doesn't work, right? In, in a media and advertising is, you know, the, the buzzword they say, John Maker said, we know advertising works, we just don't know which half of it works. Traditionally, product brands have had very limited visibility into the effectiveness of their advertising and merchandising and limited influence on consumers at that point of purchase in the store. But with the digital capabilities we bring, they now are able to measure the performance and consumer response to their media buys in real time. And with that instantaneous feedback, brands can rapidly test and refine their offerings And that's, in some ways, it's unprecedented what retail media is able to now do for the brands. The result is brands can, for the first time, directly engage with consumers in stores in a digital way. They increase sales, as we saw now for three, four years going. They increase their market share. And they do that by, again, a very simple, catchy phrase of marketing, which is deliver the right offerings and messages at the right time, in the right place, and to the right audience. So it, it doesn't get any better when you're doing you're doing that in a store in that moment when shoppers want to pick a product. Oh, that's great. Yeah, and one word that always comes to my mind as we think about that new advertising standard and you know what brands hope to 
evolve to, it's that notion of contextual marketing or contextual advertising, right? So it's not just like the right ad at the right place at the right time. It's like digging into that data and that insight to ensure you're hitting all the right notes. Even I've been hearing so much about creative agility, right? And creative testing for advertising to ensure that you're pulling all of those right levers in order to facilitate that path to purchase at that most critical moment of influence. I guess the big question for you is, is that level of contextual advertising possible, you know, within the four walls of the store? And if so, what does it look like? And does the consumer's like individual technology play a role anymore? Because I know that the goal was to kind of bring that experience from the mobile device to the actual aisle. So, I mean, how does this all come to life, I guess, is is the big question. Yeah, yeah. No, it's a great question. It's a way, I think, the reason why I refer to the in-store retail media is that I call it the third level lever of marketing, because traditionally, we brands, we leveraged effectively, I guess, TV, radio to gain mass awareness of the of people, right? Kind of the very top of the funnel, people knowing about our brand and product. And not every brand can participate in that, clearly for the, the scale or economic uh, issues. We loved the second wave of marketing when Google's and social media showed up because they gave us an ability to start connecting with the consumers and giving them the the information when they express the intent, maybe through search online, right, where we can infer from that. But a lot of that technology traditionally has been built and the business model that accompanies that was built around the, I guess, all this previous generation of digital was relied on capturing personal data and linking it to the individual buyers to be able to deliver that insight and then make money. Our approach at Cooler Screens is just the opposite. We never seek to identify the individuals and never gather or use anything that can be linked to that person. It's a model which we think is the new model for digital retail, identity blind. Our technology doesn't support it. Our business model doesn't require it. And we've built the foundation of the algorithm around what you call the contextual advertising. Contextual means exactly what it says, that our data models have indicated that knowing it's Joe or Jill doesn't really matter. What matters is the context around them. It could be a simple example. It's 80 degrees outside, it's 3 p.m., and the consumer is standing in front of the ice cream door. I mean, we know the intent just like you would online, that somebody is searching for ice cream and here they're standing in the, so let's say 7-Eleven in front of ice cream. We know it's hot outside and it's an afternoon. A lot of that is sufficient for us to, from the AI and data model perspective to derive that a content from Hagen does is going to be effective. It could be 5 p.m. and someone is, again, is, is in a frozen aisle looking for their dinner. And a six-pack of beer or six-pack of soda will be contextually relevant to them, and maybe with the promotion for the new Avengers movie release by Disney, right? So the contextualization is a very basic concept, has been done way before even digital marketing was even available. But it kind of went away because marketers have found a new set of tools that they thought were the best way of doing it, micro-targeting down to an individual. And while it seemed effective, but it was always disconnected from whether it's working or not. We know in perhaps in many ways in a creepy manner about who the customers are, but we cannot derive whether our media is really working in a brick and mortar world. 
I think that marketers have perfected that for the e-commerce equation and being able to close the loop by at least in, on sites like Amazon. And they'll be able to follow the journey of a shopper all the way through them checking out online and being able to tell if it's working or not. But in a brick and mortar world, you don't have the, I mean, it's a world of many people in a store and it's, all these technologies have become frankly recently available with the edge computing, IoT sensors, all allowing us to do it in a privacy safe way in this identity blind model. So oh, that's fascinating. So I do want to, you know, make sure I understand the full context of, you know, the possible experience, you know, the ways digital and physical could possibly tie together. Do they tie together? Like if someone is engaging with, say, you know, a, a cooler screens experience, obviously there's that level of granularity possible. And then through digital channels, there's that personalization and retargeting that's possible. So is there crossover? Like, is there true synergy between like someone's digital experience and then when they get into the physical store and interact with these types of advertising moments? Or is that, you know, like the future of or where we hope to get to eventually, especially as retail media continues to, you know, mature and, and retailers are exploring what this looks like in, in a physical context. Yeah, I think that the omni-channel experience is almost think that the traditional funnel of marketing class, right? Instead of trying to connect with the consumers days in advance and trying to condition them to have an awareness about a certain product and then hoping that that turns into a conversion in a store. A platform like Cooler Screens allows the marketers to be able to build both that brand equity awareness, but also drive within those few valuable seconds or minutes to a lower funnel conversion and the actual purchase. Now, the omni-channel part of this is the shoppers do like to research, right? They do come in with preconceived ideas and use as well as maybe even shopping lists into the stores. I mean, that's the reason why Google coined the zero moment of truth concept. I mean, PNG coined the first moment of truth and said, none of that matters unless you are in a store standing by at the shelf and you are going to make a decision to pick my uh, product over the competitors. So the ability to understand kind of, I guess, this the intent of the people and being able to connect these their online experiences to the offline experiences in the stores is essential. And it could be very opportunistic for the brands. In that case, the consumers could be conditioned for that higher conversion and the higher output because they've given you a permission to contextualize that experience and maybe even personalize it, right? And this is where the fine line comes in is how far do you get into telling them something that becomes very personal versus it's contextually relevant. The example I gave you, it's 3 p.m. and it's hot outside and I'm looking for ice cream. That doesn't cross that fine line. Now, if the shopper is a member of a loyalty platform at Kroger, and they have specifically asked to be able to receive perhaps promotions and coupons and information while they are in the store, at that point, our technology can connect with the loyalty platform in this one particular use case and be able to deliver a much more tailor-made, personalized experience and a messaging as well as the offers to that consumer. But the gamut like I said, um, options is really wide. And the brands and retailers are making that decision based on their own considerations, like how far they want to push with the consumer into so-called personalization and how effective is that really versus 
the contextual targeting uh, level, which still provides significant increases in sales and the conversion uh, metrics, but it doesn't cross that fine line of getting into the personal territory. Got it. Very interesting. So we've been talking a lot about the the NIL experience. Obviously, that's where there's intense, you know, the consumer is on a mission. They're considering their options. But I know like in terms of in-store marketing, the point of purchase obviously comes up a lot. And that those are the opportunities for impulse buys or, you know, the opportunity to merchandise options based on any last minute needs, right? Like, are there opportunities there? Like, is there a way to kind of turn this into a more cohesive journey? Like, is there anything there that we can get into, like, as far as what a point of last minute inspiration looks like at the point of sale? Yeah, I mean, one of the unique data points that we have about the consumers is their full transactional data, right? So we understand exactly what they're purchasing and we can build basket, I mean, to your specific question, we can build basket affinity models where we know that certain shoppers, it could be between both endemic and non-endemic. If somebody, we can derive in a certain detailed pattern that that dairy buyers at certain segment of time and certain demographic, they are also very likely and they have propensity to buy, let's say, tight detergent as an example. One can say one and the other one don't have anything really to do anything with each other, but the data will show that the basket of a typical segment or sub-segment of shoppers would have these kind of items. Now, that's kind of on the far end of this, on the very simple concepts. I mean, you buy your same ice cream and you want cookies with that. You buy that frozen dinner, you get the beverages with that, right? So Building a basket is one of the key functions for Ava technology that retailers and the brands have leveraged very effectively. We have seen another application in being able to boost the TPRs or the promotions in the stores, which lead to just, again, just outsized increase in some cases. It's exactly what the brands need to be able to fight today's environment of inflation. I mean, where TPRs, as we know, is just giving away the discounts to the customers, right? And the brands and retailers, they love the ability to be able to build that basket, boost that promotional pricing, but do that in a way that is not just hitting into the margin, but also increases the sales at at a far larger rate, justifying the whole program and the return on that investment. So yes, I think the core is we've all been there when we go into a store and we come out with at least a few items in our basket, in our shopping cart that we didn't plan to buy. The traditional world was built on the displays and static signage that would make us pick up products that we were not intending to because we saw, or maybe in the Costco, it's the sampling station where someone would hand us something that, again, we never expected to buy, but we try and then we have this emotional reaction that, hey, I should just pick up one and try it home. So the ability to do that with a digital media platform in the stores and being able to measure the effectiveness of all of these tricks and tactics is extremely powerful from everything we have seen. And basket building is, like I said, is the core of uh, why we see sales lifts somewhere in the average of 4 to 6% with the other retail partners. And I say 4 to 6% of same store sales like for like incremental sales lifts compared to last year um, performance. Wow, that's amazing. So it's pretty incredible how rich the data 
is and like how how much insight is possible to glean through these types of experiences. So I'm curious, I mean, do you provide any direction or guidance to retailers in terms of like what KPIs they should be tracking for these experiences in order to ensure that they're using the right creative or even the right offers and orchestrating everything appropriately? Because Well, I mean, I guess it's not just retailers, right? It's brands as well. Like, how does that distilling of performance and using KPIs effectively come to light so these experiences can continue to improve? Like, or do you largely work with the retailers? I'm curious how all of that works. Uh, No, it's uh, so let's say our first party data and insights we give to the brands are based on kind of the buckets of the consumer intent, the behavior the conversion funnel, the, those contextual signals we talked about, and then the point of sale and the loyalty data, which we see from other partner retailers. All of that is together put into what we call internally a cooler analytics platform, kind of think of Google Analytics, we call it cooler analytics, that allows the both the retailers and the brands measure everyone, every point of that, I guess, attribution and conversion across the consumer path to purchase. The metrics that clearly have been very valuable and very powerful. Um, uh, The brands are extremely interested in understanding the intent and the overall traffic by their categories, the attention rates. I mean, are people, let's just say, spending more than three seconds when you're showing them the blue content versus the pink content, right, to your point? And then is the content effective to drive an engagement? And then the engagement in our cases is, do people actually take the product? Do they open for the cooler aisle? Do they open the door and pick up the product? If, or do they, in the end cap, do they pick up the take rates for the products off the shelves? All of that from the, like I said, from the that intent and the traffic to attention signals to the engagement rates, and then all the way to the final attribution when they do go to the counter and they check out with the product they picked and being able to close, uh, having this closed loop data and attribution, that's, like I said, in a, it's, it's all seems to be very typical and available today in the e-commerce world, but in a brick and mortar world, it's unprecedented. And the core of our technology is built in some ways by creating a proxy signal of everything that online marketers have already been doing for the last 10, 15, 20 years. They know exactly how many people go to a certain page right on, on the line. Well, we know exactly by what products people are standing. Uh, we know their presence. We know their motion. Online people would measure, marketers would measure how long they spend on a particular web page. Well, same way, we would know the dwell times of shoppers in front of the products. But if they click on a certain product online, that's the engagement. We would see the same way. Let's say they would open the door on a cooler. That's the equivalent of the click. If they take the product and put it in a shopping basket online, for us, it's the same. They picked up physically the product off the shelf. And then when they check out online with their shopping basket, for us, it's equivalent of them checking out at the register in a physical store. So like I said, there is a proxy signal to every signal e-commerce online world generates that we've created an equivalent of that with the IoT sensors and other technology in the physical stores. So now back to your content point, when you have the richness of this kind of data, you're now able to not only optimize which is it the pink ad working better than the blue ad, but you can do this dynamically and you can do this across the whole country 
essentially creating almost this, I like to say, a chameleon like a campaign where in a Chinatown in San Francisco, you're a certain shade of green and a certain content will resonate better and have better results converting perhaps versus in another store in Austin, Texas or in Midwest in Chicago, right? I think that level of contextualization and tailor-made marketing powered by completely dynamic digital platform behind it. Again, this is new. This is why it's so exciting to be working in this emerging area. But but the foundation of this has been laid by the e-commerce technologies for the past plus, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 years now. Amazing. So in terms of like being able to use this data to feel creative, the, the creative opportunities are essentially limitless, right? It's like, it just depends on where you want your brand to go with that creative real estate. And you have this 4K, six foot large screens. Think about that, right? So you have this essentially Times Square-like beautiful canvas that you can scream about Coca-Cola being fresh. But then you can also quickly turn that as the shoppers approach your products. We flip into the planograms and the merchandising view on our screens. Now you can take this from the big red Coca-Cola message. You can bring this down immediately to that one maybe small symbol or logo highlighting that your new tea is organic or locally brewed. Or if it is on sale, 244, or a spotlight content, spotlight message coming up saying that it's 3 p.m. and and it's hot outside, why not grab a refreshing drink, right? And again, the creative possibilities are limitless. And when you allow the creative options to be now governed both by the data, which speaks back to you and gives you this instantaneous real-time feedback, what works better and what works not as well, and then being able to load multiple versions of your creative so you can actually A-B test and find out which, which, really, which message resonates best in that particular store in that particular context with that particular customer, right? Like I said, that that's not ever being done in a physical store environment. Yeah, I was going to bring up the A-B testing point. I'm sure that is going to be especially valuable for brands as they roll products out in different markets. And I know we've been hearing a lot about how brands are incorporating location, like geo-based trends, like into their marketing strategies and their creative strategies. So I'm sure that'll be some fascinating takeaways and learnings for, you know, all, all of your customers. But to that end, I mean, how many stores is your technology in again? Like what, what is the current standing and what does your roadmap look like as far as, you know, getting this technology in stores? Because this is, this is fascinating. Yeah, thank you again. So we have grown quite aggressively in the past 12, 18 months. We, we have over 11,000 screens. There is nearly a 90, 92 million monthly audience traffic in front of the screens across multitude of retailers from Walgreens to Kroger to Circle K's and and so on. So the network continues to grow. We have approximately 4x of that scale already under contract for the rollouts over the next 24 months. Some of our national partners like Kroger or Walgreens or Giant Eagle and others in Circle K, we're extremely proud about the partnerships, but we're learning with that, right? We test and learn. We continue to roll out. We're, we're in 31 national DMAs or uh, regional markets. So we're able to give the brands the national coverage and the scale that is approaching, I think, the levels that the campaigns they run with us, they can actually move the needle and they can 
grow the sales for in a meaningful way, as well as allow the brands to have market share, market gaining activities and campaigns. And finally, you mentioned about the new product launches, right? I think that it's very exciting to see on how certain brands with us have experimented doing multiple scenarios, the A, B, C, D, and so you, you name it, right? Across different geographies and learning which ones resonate well with certain demographics or certain geos and with certain messages. So the scale continues to grow. Uh, we're very humble about the results and, and the confidence that a number of national, very smart, established uh, both retailers and hundreds of brands have communicated to us. It's We want to learn with them in, along this journey while the platform continues to become, frankly, not just inevitable as digital coming in stories already happening everywhere, but we believe Cooler Screens will be that indispensable partner for all of the brands and retailers going forward. That's great. So have your clients shared that the transition for consumers has been relatively seamless? I mean, you've shared some great data throughout our conversation around the, the sales impact and, and how it allows brands and retailers to capitalize on that intent to drive more sales. But as far as like consumer sentiment and response to these experiences. I mean, I could imagine like it's a bit of an adjustment because it's like all of this real estate that they were expecting, you know, something they're very much used to and comfortable with. Now it's like more dynamic and rich. Like, is it a pretty easy jump for the customer or is that something that, you know, brands and retailers work on collectively to, you know, let them know about the value of the experience and what they get out of it? You know, on one hand, screens are everywhere, right? We keep staring at our laptops and our phones and TV. We're used to screens everywhere already. So on one hand, it's just the natural evolution of where uh, what technology is able to do and we're accepting that as we grow. And on the other hand, as you said, the brick and mortar has been slow to adapt technology. Just traditionally, brick and mortar retailers are slow to, to modernize their experiences. I mean, there's a lot of capital required for that and, and so on, right? So there's, and, and there's perceptions. Now, the change is, in some ways, it's kind of easy. We were surprised about how high the NPS scores have been. But at the same time, I don't want to underestimate the learnings and the, that we have received in the past four years. So the Avo continuously improving product market fit now reaching on the pure NPS calculation basis nearly 70, 72% NPS score. When you add the neutral feedback, uh, we jump into the 90s. But there is always that five, six, seven percent of the consumers, right, that that are seeing change to be a challenge for them in their initial feedback. I, it takes. We also see in our data that as time passes by, that some of that these five, six, seven percent of people that initially would reject the iPhone and they would reject any technology and, and they would not be happy with cooler screens showing up in their stores. As the time passes and they're recognizing, oh, wait, I could actually find my product easier. I was able to have a much more seamless experience in the store. I didn't have to squint to looking at the product back of the label to find out how many calories are in it or sugar. I was able to see all that information clearly on the screen. Or I found that this particular product has a coupon and a sale and I saved a couple of bucks which is very relevant today. So in other words, as for that persistent 5 6% of consumers that we see their initial resistance over the first 5-6 months of their interaction with the technology, the adoption continues to grow. So we'll never give up to want to gain everybody. And we have in particular identified the areas of opportunity. We saw 
the core of these five, six percent negative feedback a lot of times centered around uh, lack of, of product on the shelves. During the COVID with supply chain interruptions, our retail partners, they've had clearly a hard time keeping up uh, with the demand and keeping their shelves stocked. And for some reason, right, the, the perception would go, well, you have a screen here, I, it shows the beautiful product, even though it might have a very clearly marked that this product is out of stock. But yet when I open the door, I don't see the product and I'm going to blame the technology, right? So in some ways, the, the fundamental issue is the supply chain has been challenged. It's gotten far better recently. So the issues are also, that kind of feedback has also subsided. But if there was one area that we're continuously improving and investing millions of dollars into is our ability to provide on-shelf, real-time availability data to both brands and retailers, as well as the AI that updates the screen content as obviously, if you will, as possible, so that the consumers, one, they don't get confused about what they see on the screen versus what's behind the screen. But also, we help the business partners, brands, distributors, or retailers to use this unique shelf availability out of stock data, as well as planogram compliance data to just improve their operation and get, get more product on the shelves, right? Oh, that's amazing. And I know we're coming up on time together, Arsen, but to close out, I would love your thoughts on where you think this this space is heading. I mean, we're seeing so much maturation of the retail media landscape, a lot of excitement around it, both on the retailer side as well as the brand side. And now we have companies like Cooler Screens coming into the mix that are helping support this highly contextual and, and seamless omni-channel experience. So where do you think this next year is going to take us in, in terms of you know the retail media landscape? And do you have any closing learnings or recommendations for both brands and retailers that are trying to capitalize on it and see where they fit in, in this bigger mix? The next generation of retail media networks is shaping up as we speak. Everyone is talking about it. I think that retail media 1.0 was very clearly focused with the Amazon spearheading that, I guess, invention of retail media, that online, the opportunity for the brands to connect with the shoppers during their online paths of, to purchase is tremendous. And they've proven that. That opportunity is big and growing. I think I just read Group M uh, forecasted it to cross $100 billion this year. Mackenzie would say next year. Leaders in the space, such as Amazon, Kroger, Walmart, Walgreens, and others are recognizing, though, that the future growth is not only online, but it's in capturing in-store owned and operated media inventory. And this is why our aspiration is to be a major player in that ecosystem as the defining in-store media and merchandising technology platform. Perhaps three, four years ago, we were early with our message and technology, but right now it seems to be just on time. I think the retail media 2.0 is coming. I believe the, the brands and retailers are going to recognize that um, post-COVID, the consumers cast their vote, that over 90% still shop in physical stores. Uh, the myth and the fear that Amazon is going to take over the world and every store is going, every Walmart and Target is going to close. It just didn't happen. It will never happen. And it creates this urgency on the part of the retailers to adopt the technologies that bring the best of online capabilities, including retail media capabilities, inside their stores. And the brands who have learned the power of what retail media does for them in the e-commerce, I call that the retail media 1.0, are gearing up with the learnings with companies like ours on 
how do they go into the new phase of retail media and understand how to connect with people in the physical world, in the stores. So I, I think that's kind of like, again, uh, obviously our aspiration, our vision, which is why we started this company and we're building it. But I also think that it's now being recognized widely. There's not a big retailer out there or a brand that does not talk to us or in general about in-store retail media. So all this is exciting. And I guess you ask a question about the, the advice. I'm not sure if I'm in a position of advice. Uh, we're humble entrepreneurs and uh, building the capability to empower our partners. I think the flexibility in this learning process for all of the partners is important, right? They need to lean in and they need to bring in the best of their expertise and, and skills that they have gained from the first phase of retail media into the second. But understanding that the nuances and intricacies of an in-store environment, physical experience environment, is what probably will lead to an eventual convergence of traditionally people said shopper marketing along with the brand marketing into one discipline. And within that is where I say internally, we call it hearts and minds framework. The beauty of modern marketing and digital advertising is that everything can become now measured and everything can become uh, data led and informed. But at the same time, it is a business of hearts. We appeal as marketers, we appeal to humans both to their rational decision-making, which is the mind part. I have a sale, I have something special in this product that you want, but we also appeal to them with the heart, which is the creative part of our campaigns and the messaging. So I think finding that right balance, not to lose the creativity and being able to leverage that, this new canvas that's becoming available to them in the stores to gain and win the hearts of our consumers, but yet be rational and look at the data and understand what works, what doesn't, and how to make it better. I think that's kind of the intersection of hearts and minds that I believe is the future of marketing and technology like ours is going to enable. I like that. The intersection of hearts and minds. Arsene, it has been a real pleasure getting to know you, hear more about your story, and of course, dig into the objectives of, of cooler screens and what's really possible or close to, to being possible on a much larger scale in physical stores and online. So thank you again so much for taking the time out to speak with me today. Thank you, Alisa. This is great. I appreciate having me on, on the podcast. And to all of you, if you have any follow-up questions for Arsene or just want to geek out about this emerging trend with us, definitely drop us a line on Twitter or LinkedIn. We are on Twitter at our touch points, LinkedIn at retail touch points. It is such a fast moving space. And I feel like there are a lot of creative opportunities here. And of course, if you want to share your feedback with us on this show or the series as a whole, drop us a line on your preferred podcast player. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, frankly, anywhere else. We are likely there. And here's your weekly reminder to subscribe to the pod if you want to get the latest and greatest episodes delivered right to your preferred device. But that's it for us for now. Thanks again, everyone. We will see you next time. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of Retail Remix. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. You can find us on your favorite podcast player. Until next time, keep mixing it up.